you just think we just, you know, whatever happens, we just shit another player. I, and everything's going to be perfect. All of our fans think that. You all think that. That's what you write about. You don't want to be here. There's a specific reason. Not really, you know, I think we did a poor job recruiting. If guys are coming in and immediately walking out the door because it was something different than what they thought it would be. And we lied to them during recruiting or we, we sold them on a dream that wasn't true. Is we want to be a big, fast, dominating, aggressive, relentless football team that nobody in the SEC wants to play. Now, that's also a second in the West, baby. Yes, sir. <laughs> Winning the SEC probably is harder than winning the national championship. Do you know that? Well, how about the fucking dogs? <laughs> hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the pirate, and the pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State! Welcome in the latest episode of that. SEC podcast presented by my bookie. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter, and I'm joined as always by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vols on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? <laughs> hey, buddy, what's going on? Hey, not much, Shane. We got a packed show here. We got quite a bit of comments, and I think I came up, you know, a fun little intro here to our show before we get to the coach comments, but, uh, you know, we always like to start off light if we can, and I thought the best comment from all these pressers that I listened to was, oh, Jimbo trying to be a weatherman. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I was reading, I, I saw that last night, and I can say I've been south a long time. That's the first one I can remember in my time that there's two of them in the, in the golf at the same time, and I was worried if they got together, but... I may have read that wrong. They say if they do get together, it may weaken them. Am I right on Did y'all hear the same thing? Or am I off on that? So hopefully if they get together and it's strong, I hope they don't. If they get together and weaken, I hope they get together. And, yeah, I was uh, going to say, I don't think they know either. Thank you. Well, that's probably right. I, I can say weatherman, right? It could rain. It could be sunny. It may not. But the wind could blow from the north, but it might blow from the south. Other than that, we'll check at noon tomorrow and tell you, okay? So, uh <laughs> I would, if football coaches could be that, that'd be pretty. That'd be a pretty good job. Sports writers are kind of like that. Thank but hey, I, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't want to predict it either because I, 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 that's got to be a hard job. All right, Chase. So I think he's got a point, old Jimbo. <laughs> seems like uh, Jimbo, the top fast talking weatherman, would be a hit, wouldn't it? Oh, I think he's got a future, Mike. I, do, <laughs> I just, you know, I was looking at this storm. Ain't no, I've never seen anything like this. Of course, they say this thing hasn't happened like a hundred years or something crazy like that. But the best meme, and listen, I'm, I want everybody to be safe. I hope this does nothing. I hope it, you know, just you get a little rain, everything, yada yada yada. But I saw a meme online, Mike, that probably summed up how every LSU fan feels right now, and it says. <laughs> It said 2019, we'll do anything if we win a national championship. <laughs> and then 2020, it's got these two arcades coming in. It's like, uh, it's like paying the piper, you know. But hey, you know what? You had the best damn team that's played college football, I think, in, in 20, 30 years. So uh, was it worth it? I don't know, Mike, but I've never seen anything like this. I hope everybody, all listeners, are safe. Uh, you know, I, I'm the way I understood it's, it's not going to be that bad of a storm, even though it's, it's kind of a freak accident or a freak of nature here. 
now naturally I got to ask you living in East Tennessee, how many tornadoes would it take (laughs) for you to take Tennessee winning the, winning it all this year? Have you ever seen that, uh, Forrest Gump when, uh, Lieutenant Dan's up there in the in, in the crow's nest yelling at the storm. That's me, buddy. Bring it. I'll take the perfect storm. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right, before we go uh, jumping around the league here, uh, so this is what I was teasing earlier. I think I've, I think we even did this this offseason, but, of course, they've changed the SEC schedule. We all know by now, 10 games, conference-only format, and every week – you know, this is not official, but I assume every week is going to be SEC on CBS Action. We're going to have a game of the week. So once again, I've gone ahead and predicted each game of the week, Shane. So you want to talk some uh, SEC football here? Yeah, buddy. All right. All right. So week one of the season, not a ton of great games. We've you know talked at length about the week one schedule. Tennessee, South Carolina, that is going to be a really good game. But I think the game of the week Kentucky at Auburn, and it's an added layer for me given the fact that now we got students only at Auburn, so I think it's going to be extra rowdy. We got the Joey Gatewood factor. If he gets a waiver, let's hope he does. So there's mm-hmm. going to be a little bit of a revenge. And, you know, CBS really seems to they love Alabama and Auburn. So I think this is going to be the natural pick. Any debate there for you, week one, SEC game, SEC on CBS game, Kentucky at Auburn. Well, I'm just first time I've heard this list, Mike. So I'm, I'm overlooking the the schedule here, and I think I think we're a go, man. I think that's got to be, I think that's got to be your week one game for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, week two, Saturday, October third, Texas A&M at Alabama. Two heavyweights here in the SEC West this season. I don't think there's any chance another game gets selected there. What are your thoughts on that matchup? Well, the only other one I'm probably looking at is, of course, the Mm -hmm. Georgia-Auburn. You know, obviously, I think both these teams are going to be undefeated coming into this game. You know, of course, you never know. Kentucky may surprise Auburn week one. We've talked about that. But other than that, I I, I think because so many teams – so many people have predicted – Alabama to be the the SEC West and there's a lot of people predicting like yourself A&M to be the West champ uh it, it may get decided week two so yeah no that's I'm I'm good with that one all right week three October 10th this one's for you buddy Tennessee <laughs> at Georgia now we get to add the Cade Mays drama on top of all this but you know there's starting to be some good games here on this weekend of the schedule but Tennessee beats South Carolina week one, I think they're going to be undefeated in this matchup. Mm-hmm. As long as Georgia survives Auburn, they should be undefeated in this matchup. And then here we got, you know, obviously Georgia's probably going to be a heavy favorite here, but this is going to be the game that kind of decides, you know, Tennessee, are they a legitimate challenger in the East? Is Georgia a true national championship contender? Uh, so I think this, there's some added intrigue on this one. Do you think they get bumped if A&M beats Alabama? possibly because i mean because you're sitting there i mean you could i mean easily could have an undefeated a&m and undefeated florida Mm -hmm. you know that obviously if you're looking at pure rankings they would probably more people would want to watch that game just based off the rankings but 
Uh, I'm all for Tennessee, Georgia, just because, you know, it's been, it's been a little, been a little rough the last few years, but you know, this is two teams that I think that are getting closer together, not further away, you know? So, uh, I still think that this could make for great, great football. Mm-hmm. All right. Week four, Saturday, October 17th, easiest pick on the board. No debate here. Georgia at Alabama. I don't think there's any chance in hell another game's picked here. Do you? <laughs> no, no. This is it, man. This is the one they've had circled forever, you know. So uh, this would be a good game. When is it? October 17th? Yes, sir. Oh, John's bir- that's our cousin's birthday, my brother's birthday. So mm-hmm. happy birthday. We get to watch uh, two Goliaths go at it. Mm-hmm. All right, next week, my birthday, uh, week five, That's right. Saturday, October 24th. Now, this is the only one I'm going to do this, but I got two games here, Alabama at Tennessee or Georgia-Kentucky. Now, I'm throwing them both out there because, you know, normally these CBS games are picked up, you know, two weeks in advance, but they may hold off on this one, want to see who wins this Georgia-Alabama game, and also potentially Tennessee-Kentucky. Yeah. So that those are the two teams played previous as well. So depending on who wins those games, if it's Alabama and Tennessee win, I mean, I think this is a really good showdown. Now on the flip side, if Georgia beats Alabama and Kentucky beats Tennessee, which I don't think that's, you know, would be a stunner by any means, now all of a sudden this could be the showdown for the SEC East between Georgia and Kentucky. Obviously, we got to throw Florida in there, but this is going to be an early decider. So I'm kind of split on week five. I think there's two marquee games here, depending on how the schedule breaks down. Mm, man, I just I, – I, looking at the schedule, just – I love it, Mike. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's just every week there's marquee games. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Is is this – is this SEC or is this CBS's last year? Is ESPN is that ESPN deal kick in the following season or they got how many more seasons they got? Yeah, they've not finalized it yet, but I believe uh, it currently it runs through twenty twenty two. But oh, there, okay. but there's a lot of speculation that uh, ESPN is going to try to buy them out. So oh okay, it, this may be the last year of it, but. You know, CBS ain't going to just give it up for free. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They may have well, to trade him uh, Paul Feinbaum or something. Well, as long as they take Gary with him, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next week, uh, this is probably another lock here. Halloween, Saturday, October 31st, LSU at Auburn. This is one of my favorite SEC games every year. These two teams, very physical very tough. You know, these games are usually very, very tight. And it just seems for whatever reason, the loser of this series usually has a disappointing year. The winner goes on to a big year. It, it's unlike anything I've ever seen. A, you know, usually they play early in the season too. So it's kind of weird how that dynamic always happens. But I don't know. I'm, I'm just a sucker for LSU Auburn. That's my pick for that week. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good pick, Mike. The following weekend, again, this is going to be a no-brainer here. Saturday, November 7th, Florida versus Georgia in Jacksonville. The game that likely will decide the SEC East on the neutral field here. This game has been picked by CBS, I think, for about 12 years out of in a row or something crazy like that. So uh, I don't think there's any chance CBS doesn't pick this one. 
Well, you don't think the uh, the big rivalry between A and M South Carolina? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, they'd have to find the trophy first. Yeah, find the trophy somewhere. Dust that bad boy off. I still think it's second place. Obviously, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. This is what it's all about, Mike. Big rivalry. Uh, no, no doubt in my mind. That's the game of the week. All right, the following week here, another probably no-brainer. Week 8, Saturday, November 14th, Alabama at LSU. Mm-hmm. We've got the revenge factor for Alabama. We've got you know, LSU knowing that they can beat Alabama finally once again. I think that gives them some added confidence going into this matchup, but uh, it I don't see any way CBS doesn't pick this game. Do you? No, I, I think that's been locked in for a while as well. Mm-hmm. All right, the following week, this might be a surprise. Week 9, Saturday, November 21st, my pick, we've already talked a little bit about this game, Mississippi State at Georgia. And by this time, if Georgia's offense is as good as all these Georgia Twitter accounts have been telling me (laughs) all offseason, I mean, this is going to be a damn shootout. This could be air raid versus, you know, spread offense. First team to 50, 60 points wins it. Not saying that Mississippi State's just going to have its way with Georgia's defense, but we've already kind of talked about if Georgia's just scoring at will on Mississippi State, you know, that's going to leave that defense out on the field a long time. And we've seen Mike Leach have success against just about every defense he's faced. So I think Mm -hmm. this could be a really, really entertaining game. I know Georgia's probably going to be a massive favorite, but I'd sign up to, and we all know Mike Leach is going to upset somebody. Yeah. Not saying it's going to be Georgia, but. Hell, I, I'm right there to find out, you know? Well, and I, I'm kind of looking at a different team, Mike. I, I like this Kentucky ball club. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if they're able to knock off either Auburn or Georgia, I mean, they could easily be sitting there with one loss in late November playing Alabama. So mm-hmm. that could also be a sneaky one that that moves up. So uh, mm-hmm. at this point, I'm, I'm leaning a little more toward the Big Blue Nation. Okay, okay. I respect that. That's a good game, too. All right, week 10, Saturday, November 28th. Auburn at Alabama, the Iron Bowl. Now, I even think LSU at Texas A&M is probably a better game. And Mississippi State and Ole Miss, that's that's probably a more interesting game. But CBS is a sucker for this Iron Bowl. They've only not selected it, I think, once out of the last 20-something years. So Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think there's... There's there's a chance it's LSU Texas A&M, but I lean towards the Iron Bowl. Now they have a couple, don't they have a couple games each year that they can select, or a couple weeks that they can select two games? Yeah, they do that towards the tail end. So this may be when we start seeing it because I think this this slate is worthy of a doubleheader, don't you? Yeah, I, I like that LSU. I mean, because you think about two years ago, the the either, even though last year wasn't a great game. This is still two great ball clubs. I, I like the A and M LSU matchup. Uh, you know, I just I, I think that that's going to be there. Um, it's hard to uh, if, if, like I said, go go with Kentucky. That Kentucky Florida game was always a sneaky good game toward the start of the season. Uh, I think this is a week that they find a way to uh, to flex two games in. Mm-hmm. All right, final game here on the regular season or final weekend, I should say, week eleven, Saturday, December fifth. Here's another one for you, Shane. Florida at Tennessee. Mm-hmm. I mean, this has uh, annually been a CBS game for a long, long time. It's not necessarily yep. not been here lately because Tennessee's not been that good. 
but this year could be different. And mm-hmm. as Shane, cousin Shane likes to point <laughs> out, what happened last time these two exactly. played in December? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm thinking, man. I, I, was, I was going back, you know, 2001, that was, you know, 9-11, if a lot of people forget, uh, well, not the – the tragedy, but what happened in college football, they just didn't have it that week. Mm-hmm. Moved that game to the tail end, and, man, it ended up being one of Tennessee's best games. Had a chance to go to a natty until uh, freaking Saban and LSU knocked this off. So, uh, fantastic year, terrible ending. But uh, who knows, man? What Wouldn't it be something if they come up here and it's the first year that you got to watch this game in the snow? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we're going to find out uh, if them Gators, if they can handle the ice. You know what? Yeah, that's right, man. It's going to be a little chilly. It's the first time you can watch a Gator game and not sweat your ass off. <laughs> <laughs> All right, before we go around the league, Shane, like I said at the uh, the front of the show, if you caught it there, we're presented by MyBookie this season once again. And MyBookie.ag, they've got uh, new customers receive a 100% deposit match up to $1,000. So what that means, you throw, you know, if you sign up for an account, you put in 100 bucks, they automatically give you 100 more. So you got 200 to play with. And that mm-hmm. same thing all the way, like I said, up to 1,000. You start with 1,000. You got 2,000 to gamble with this college football season. Uh, it's summertime at my bookie, and that means one thing. It's winning season, Shane. <laughs> Unless uh, Cousin Shane's making the picks there. <laughs> but it's simple. Make your picks, win big, collect your cash. Using the promo code that SEC, that's the important part when you go to my bookie and sign up for an account. That SEC will be your promo code. That's how you get double your first deposit up to a thousand dollars. New players get up to a thousand dollars in free play designed to add excitement to your sports and love of the games you bet. Winning season begins today only at my bookie. And remember that promo code is that SEC T H A T S E C mybookie.ag made a lot of people money last year mike you know (laughs) if you didn't listen to cousin shane hell you'd be uh you wouldn't even need to work next year you know what exactly exactly you 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 you've been quarantining all year because you made some great investments with the gambling (laughs) i'm ready to gamble this year mike i'll tell you that i I guess just the the fear of not having college football, the the fact that we're going to have it, it's just going to be strictly SEC play. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just it just feels like a great gambling year. So I'm looking forward to it. All right, buddy, you ready to go around the league? Let's do it. Now let's go now around let's the go league. Around the league. Uh, my my daughters said something about me wearing a visor and need to put on a hat because I'm getting bald. So uh, I'm going to wear a hat from here on out. I mean, if you look over the next six years, I think we played Miami three times, Florida State six times, South Florida three times, Mississippi State once. So who's the SEC teams? You know, I mean, I don't think, I think it's an injustice for the kids. They should, we should mix those games up and you should, um, you know, play more teams from the West. Why don't you start calling around and see if you can get somebody else to play us, and we'll play them. We'll play anybody you can get to play us. In Louisiana, hold on a second. Hey, guys. Hey, I'm having a press conference, okay? Thank you. All right, guys, just to let you know, Shane had to work some overtime here on Sunday, so 
I'm going to do this uh, episode just a little bit different. He's not around for the Around the League section, so I'm going to do this solo. But uh, he'll jump on towards the tail end of the podcast here before we jump off. Let's start here. Starting off in Rocky Top. Jeremy Pruitt met with the media here on, I believe this was on Friday evening after Tennessee's latest practice. You know, I thought it was pretty smart. First of all, they're having practices on a Friday evening, kind of. I think that's probably their way to keep some of these players away from the parties on Friday. You can't be partying up if you're in practice. You know, that's that's kind of one way to do it. And during his media availability, Jeremy Pruitt noted that Harrison Bailey has been in quarantine. So that's kind of an interesting nugget for Tennessee fans eager to see what this guy's going to do on the field on Rocky Top. I think he was already, you know, in a rough spot to where going in this training camp may be unrealistic for him to come in and win the job without hardly any spring whatsoever in an off season in which obviously didn't get a lot of time in the summer. So that's just going to make things harder on Harrison Bailey. And it's just maybe the latest indication that probably not going to see a ton of him, at least early in the season. I think they'll still he'll still see the field at some point during his true freshman year, but I don't know if he's much of a threat. And now that he's not even on the practice field at this point due to quarantine, I think that's uh, pretty much says everything you know about his chances in the quarterback race. Still open, I would think, but Harrison Bailey probably not a threat to unseat Jarrett Garantano at this time based on what based on the fact that Pruitt revealed Bailey's been in quarantine. And then, uh, you know, some of his other comments I thought were particularly interesting. Tennessee's going to need some receivers to step up. We all know that. But one thing, you know, this is nothing to take away from Juwan Jennings and Marquez Callaway, who we're starting to see make plays for their NFL teams and training camps. You know, one thing those guys didn't have, one thing Tennessee hasn't had at the receiver position since Jeremy Pruitt has been there is a lot of speed at the receiver position. And that's something that they really tackled in this latest signing class that they get now have on Rocky Top, and probably the fastest of all those guys. Jalen Hyatt was a little bit of an undersized guy in high school. He's really added some weight. He looks the part. And early in camp, the buzz is that he's a player that's standing out. He's a real, real fast receiver. This could be, you know, the first receiver. They they signed several versatile receivers, playmaker type that uh, one that could even play quarterback. So, you know, they're going to have some speed on the field this season, but I think Jalen Hyatt is one you're going to see probably before the other. So Jeremy Pruitt talks about that. And then great news here with uh, Austin Pope, the tight end, who had back surgery just not that long ago, and it looked like, you know, that was going to knock him out for the first couple of games. Now that the season's been delayed, you know, uh, with players like Pope who are still rehabbing. That was good news for them, potentially get on the field uh, as soon as the season starts because he's probably the best blocking tight end in the SEC. only has four career catches, so not much of a receiving threat. But in Tennessee's scheme, you know, we all assume the, the, the strength of that team is going to be the offensive line. They've got some talented backs there. Having Austin Pope in the lineup could be huge. And then finally, Jeremy Pruitt does comment here on Cade Mays of the latest on his appeal. So let's kick it over to Jeremy Pruitt. Hey, Coach. Talk to me about what uh, Jalen Hyatt has impressed the staff with for the first uh, few days. Uh, what does he bring to the table? First off, you know, we have a lot of young receivers. Uh, and one thing about all of them is they can run. Uh, they're really fast. Jalen's a guy that 
Um, he's very polished. Uh, he's had three really good practices, and he's got to continue to do that. Uh, he's got to work on ball security. It's a little different in this league because everybody plays in your face. Uh, in high school, very few teams probably played in that way. So he's got to continue to work really hard at the line of scrimmage at the top of routes. Uh, and he's a guy that can play really all three spots at wide receiver. Uh, yeah, Jeremy, uh, Austin Pope had mentioned that he had uh, some back issues this uh, this summer. What's his availability for the season, and is he out on the practice field at all with you guys? Yeah, he's been out every day. Uh, he continues to improve, and, uh, you know, uh, he continues to improve like he has the last five weeks. Um, he should be ready to play uh, uh, for the opener. Uh, Jeremy, what are you guys uh, doing with Cade Mays in practice right now? And, and in your opening statement, you mentioned that a couple guys flashed on the first day of contact. Any guys stand out? Well, um, you know, we, we, we two spot, so everybody gets the same amount of reps. So uh, Cade's in there. He's working just like everybody else, you know. Um, a lot of people, you know, last week the question went, to me was about his waiver. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to me, uh, for him, you know, uh, you, the NCAA and, and everybody associated with college athletics, we always try to, to serve the kids, right? And Cade's a guy that, um, based off none of his doings, he had nothing to do with it. There's a circumstance there, obviously, uh, with a lawsuit between his parents and the University of Georgia. And it was something that started while he was there. Uh, you know, he, uh, I'm sure he worked hard to, to, to be the best player he could be. Uh, and I'm sure there was, there was probably pressure on both sides from their coaching staff to him as a player. It's just something that don't happen a whole lot. So it is an unusual circumstance. So, you know, him electing to transfer, um, you know, and us applying for a waiver. I mean, to me, it, it's just common sense, you know, uh, if there's a lawsuit going on with your employer, it's probably uh, not the healthiest situation in the world. And that's not bashing anybody in Georgia. That's just common sense to me. And so hopefully uh, he'll get a chance to play this year. Uh, he's working hard every day, uh, you know, just like he's going to. So uh, it, it would be very disappointing on any levels uh, if any kid in this pandemic is denied a, uh, the opportunity to play. So obviously the big story on Rocky Top right now, Cade Mays and everything going on with that waiver. It's kind of funny because Jeremy Pruitt kind of said uh, the quiet part loud here. You know, I don't think he was meaning to be, say anything too controversial, but hell, he equated the Cade, May Cade Mays situation to, you know, when you're suing your employer or what have you. Last time I checked, SEC, NCAA, they do not take kindly to any accusations that these players are employees of the school. So that's kind of Pruitt there. I mean, I think he's being honest, but uh, probably not the right choice of words Tennessee would, would have him note there. But it's interesting because this is where the Cade Mays appeal has turned. Now he's got a, a new attorney. They're doing a new appeal. Attorneys based out of Knoxville, and what they're saying is Georgia, toxic environment up there. Those are the words from his attorney, and that's going to be the appeal process. I think they're taking a, a different advantage here, and you're seeing Pruitt take this out into the public. And, you know, he didn't say toxic here. He's not. He even went on 
made it clear he's not calling out anybody at Georgia, just kind of calling it like he sees it. He's doing what he can to support his guy. And hopefully Tennessee gets a resolution on this because, you know, it's bad enough that Cade Mays got denied. I think it's even worse when you're sitting there, you know, how much do we practice him? Can he play? Is he going to play? Is he, at what point do we get a resolution? Are we going into the first game of the season thinking that he can potentially play or potentially not? I mean, it's a fine line where how many reps are you going to give him if he can't even play? You know, so uh, that's something we're going to have to see. Hopefully they get this resolved by then. Of course, we all know the NCAA never in a rush to make these kind of judgments. But it, I just wanted to highlight the fact that it seems like the position has changed there on Rocky Top on what public position I would say of Tennessee has changed on this maze thing. And they're not necessarily calling out Georgia, but I think they're just calling they're calling attention to the situation there with the Mays family and their lawsuit and at Georgia and that whole thing as part of the waiver. That's part of the that's what they're going with now to the NCAA. I guess that wasn't part of it before. So we'll see how that strategy pays off. And I have seen some people, particularly on Twitter, calling out Georgia staff for, you know, probably not not to my knowledge, they're not actively fighting this waiver, but they're not necessarily helping Cade Mays either. And while Tennessee fans want them to, I mean, why in the hell would Georgia, you know, help smooth this process when Cade Mays could be, you know, he's not going to be the difference between Tennessee becoming like a playoff national championship team by any means, but he could be the difference between Tennessee beating Georgia. Who knows? If Cade Mays plays, there's a, there's a chance Tennessee's got the best offensive line in the SEC. If not, Maybe it's a little bit different there on Rocky Top. So you got to understand where Georgia's coming from at the same time. And, you know, I don't I don't think I would like to see them support him. But, you know, <laughs> that's just because I support all these kids being able to play immediately. But if you're Georgia, it just doesn't make sense for Georgia to turn around and help Tennessee. That's, that's my take on that. All right, next, let's jump on down to the plane. War damn eagle. Where Gus Malzahn met with the media here recently. And some good news there because... Uh, I don't know if anybody's seen it, but there's been viral photos and videos going around of um, all these kids on Auburn's campus and partying up, going to bars, and kids being kids, you know. That's no surprise, but seen a lot of football players take issue with the fact that, you know, they're doing the right things, but these other students aren't. And, you know, make no mistake, that could really cost all of us. I mean, it could cost us a season. So if cases go crazy there in Alabama, that's something to monitor, but... Uh, Gus Malzahn during his presser, I'm not going to play this part, but he does note that about four weeks ago they had some positive cases. And for two weeks in a row, Auburn's had zero positives on their football team, in their facility, you know, with the coaching staffs and all that. So Auburn's, everyone in that building's doing the right thing. So if you see players get, you know, frustrated with students and partying up, I think that's what you're seeing is uh, these guys realizing, you know, they, there's a fine line there between not having a season, and it's going to take, you know, not only the players, but if you're unaware, if the local community gets devastated by COVID cases, the SEC has already announced that's going to be a reason enough for them to shut it down. So that's something to consider. So next time you see an Auburn player calling these other students out, that's kind of part of the backstory there. Uh, but more importantly, Auburn had – a recent scrimmage over the weekend, first scrimmage of training camps. Gus Malzahn talked about that a little bit on, you know, I thought it was pretty interesting the fact that he admits, you know, we're out here giving our 
picks and predictions and how this is all going to play out. And we now we're, they dumped a new schedule on us, and that adds uncertainty to it. Hell, the Auburn coaching staff, they don't even know what they got. It's been since January since they've taken the field. And, you know, these scrimmages are invaluable. They always are to see what you got, but it's even more so without a spring and most of the offseason. So uh, Gus kind of opens up on that. And then I thought this was a really interesting comment here from Gus Malzahn, given the fact that Auburn always has a schedule. You know, you always hear everybody in that building, all their fans say Auburn's got the toughest slate every single year. And they may be right with facing Alabama and Georgia and LSU and all these teams. Auburn's always got a tough schedule. So Gus Malzahn is kind of equating that to the all-SEC schedule, why his program may be more prepared for a 10-game all-SEC schedule. Gus, can you talk a little bit about the format of the scrimmage and what particular you guys worked on today in the scrimmage? And also, was anybody a standout on offense or defense? You know, it was real basic today, Mark. I mean, we just put the ball in the minus 30, and uh, we operated with three groups. We, we let everybody play. And uh, so that, that, was really, that was really our plan. And um, we just – one group got out there, and I let them stay out there until they either, um, you know, had to punt, kick a field goal, or score. I mean, it was really that it, that it simple as that. It was real basic, and there wasn't anything that – Obviously, we've only been practicing for four days, so there wasn't a whole lot of, uh, you know, special type plays or defenses or offenses or anything like that. It was just an evaluation scrimmage, you know, of where we're at. I mean, you got to keep in mind, we've not been out on that football field since January 1st. So, you know, I mean, so it's, uh, you know, it's it was really good for our coaches to see where we're at. In, in Montgomery today, uh, Gus, what when you come into a, a scrimmage like this, the first one, first real full-speed stuff you guys have done in whatever you said, nine months or something, what are you looking for as the head coach? You just want to see, hey, are these guys fit? Do they have any idea what they're doing? What are you looking for? Yeah, you know, what, what I talked about is the Auburn standard, man. We go out there, we put full pads on our game field. It's Auburn standard, playing with great effort um, and having great pride. And uh, there's some mistakes, but that's to be expected. And like I said, I just wanted them to play play as hard as they possibly could, and for the most part, they did that. And so that was the positive. I mean, and and now it gives us a really good judge as coaches of where we're at, because like I said, we we didn't go through spring. So, um, and, and where we're at, big picture, and where we're at, individual players too. And then this week we'll be gearing up for our scrimmage next Saturday. And we'll put in a little bit more of our offense, a little bit more of our defense. We'll probably go a little bit longer uh, scrimmage-wise next Saturday. Um, you know, we, we, we strained them pretty good this year, this week, uh, with four practices. Next week, we'll just have Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, okay? And then we'll get them all Friday and have a scrimmage. So uh, it'll, be, it'll be more plays, um, you know, as far as next week goes. Next question, Mark Murphy. Yeah, Gus, can you talk about the uh, plan for the first game, having mostly students at the stadium and just big picture what you think about uh, the new schedule and how the home games are going to be handled? Yeah, uh, you know, when I heard that uh, we were going to do students only, I mean, I think that's going to be an advantage for us. I know our students will be very creative and, and uh, you know, uh, I, th I think it could be an advantage for us. Uh, as far as the schedule goes, um, I'm looking at this thing as a positive. Um, you know, if you look, since we've been here, we can make a great argument that we've had the toughest schedule of anybody in our league. 
So one thing that uh, it will not be a shock to our system, you know, playing uh, a tough schedule with a lot of SEC games. And I think uh, there's teams in our conference that it's going to be a shock to their system because they hadn't played the tough schedules um, like we have. And so we're looking at that as an advantage. And, um, you know, I think it will be for us. All right. So and then on the last show, we also talked about the fact that Auburn's opening things up for the season opener against Kentucky to all students. So the 20 percent capacity is going to be for the vast majority is just going to be students on that campus. Uh, these people we're seeing at the bars, they're going to be the ones in the stands. So uh, that is probably going to be an advantage. And I think, uh, you know, I, I have no idea if Gus Malzahn had a hand in that, but I'm sure, like he said here, he's totally for it because this Kentucky team is, is going to be dangerous. And you'd rather have, if you only got 20% of your stadium, you'd want that to be the 20 you know, rowdiest percentage you can get. That's why I love to see Auburn opening it up for the students because they may need that home field advantage to be the difference against Kentucky. That's going to be a really good game. Uh, but just some interesting comments here. And I think you could almost say he was calling out Alabama a little bit. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. But, you know, he clearly notes that uh, there's some teams in the SEC that are not used to this uh, tough of a schedule that Auburn always plays, and they will be. So, he might be right. You know, I've been down on Auburn. Shane's been high on him. Shane may be proven right here because uh, this might be the very reason that Auburn is more equipped to handle this all-SEC 10-game slate than any other team. All right, staying in the state of Alabama, let's uh, jump on down to Tuscaloosa. Roll Tide! Where defensive coordinator Pete Golding recently met with the media. And, you know, obviously we've been kind of critical of this guy and Alabama fans all off season wondering why in the hell is this guy ain't been fired yet? Alabama's... Defense been shrinking in some of these big-time matchups. Now, it's not to say they've been terrible. Like, let's not make this out to be, uh, you know, they've not been, you know, Arkansas's defense caliber the last couple of years. But, you know, you go back to the national championship game against Clemson a couple of years ago. They got torn apart. That was when Pete Golding was there. We all know LSU had their way with them. And, uh, you know, the Auburn game was not as bad. Mac Jones threw a couple pick sixes. That game would have been much different if not for that. But beyond those games, I mean, there there have been Alabama players, particularly I think this came out during the uh, NFL draft combine when they were asked about uh, the the defensive issues last year. A lot of that they attributed to communication issues. So that's 100% is on the coaching staff not getting stuff relayed into the field. And, you know, probably some of that has to do with the fact that Dylan Moses went down. He was going to be the signal caller of the defense. They had to play a lot of freshman linebackers last year. That's part of it too, I'm sure. So that's probably going to get better this year. But I thought Pete Golding was pretty open and honest about the fact that, uh, you know, the standard's not been met here in Alabama on the defensive side of the ball the last couple of years. That's on him. He's not putting it on anyone else. So he discusses that. And then uh, going back to those communication issues with vastly less fans in attendance, he believes that could really help. But at the same time, I think the same, it could be said for the offense as well. Um, uh, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but last year's defense took a decent amount of criticism. Um, what would you, what would you, how would you respond to that criticism? And what would be, what would you say is going to be different about it this year? 
No, I, I, that's why I took this job. You know, I took this job because I wanted to coach the best defense in the country. And that's the expectation of this place. And I don't want anything differently. So the bottom line is it's our job to put the best product on the field. And they got to perform and they got to do well. So that's obviously from an offseason standpoint. Obviously, we dived in from a defensive standpoint, whether it was missed tackles or mental errors or whatever it was. Why, right, and how do we fix it? It's one thing understanding, okay, what was it, but how do you fix it? And so I think that was the biggest thing this offseason and all the studies that we did is make sure we're going back. All right, did we have that drill set up? All right, all these missed tackles, there are a lot of them are in similar situations. Well, did we drill it? Did we put them in the situation? How can we do a better job of coaching and preparing the kids to where we get the product that we want on Saturday? And so bottom line, that's on me. I ain't on nobody else. I'm the defensive coordinator. I'm responsible for the defense. And so I got to do a better job of getting them prepared, getting those guys knowing what to do and playing fast. Pete, there were a few guys from last year's defense that said at times communication was an issue, especially against the up-tempo fastball teams. How do you address that? And does the fact that maybe there are only 20% capacity at stadiums, does that help communication with the defense at all? Absolutely. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, first of all, to answer your first question, I, mean, I think any tempo team, obviously you work it through the week and you have a, a code system to where, you know, the call and everything's one word, one signal to be able to get lined up and play fast. The difference the game is now, the LSUs of the world and other people, they'll play, they'll go tempo, but then they're going to go look, right? So they're going to go fast to the ball, they're going to go look, and if you're in the same call, they're, they're going to eat you alive. So then you got to play that game. Hey, they go tempo, they look. Well, we got to have the ability to change calls, change coverages, change pressures, and things like that. But, but absolutely, I mean, I think a tempo plan, right, and, and making it simple and being multiple within the same sense. And then they, we have to have the ability to where when they change, you have to have the ability to change. And that takes practice and that takes work. And sometimes when you ask young guys to do that that are coming from high school, that's tough. And, and I think sometimes it's tough as a coach to where you can't go versus really good players and be just vanilla to where, hey, we're going to do this every time and we're showing them our hand in poker and, and expect to win the down. Now, I also don't think you need to bluff every down. So there, there's a happy medium there, and I think this offseason was a big part of that. How can we get our kids cleats in the turf, line up, see the formation, see the back set, make the calls, and play fast, all right, and be, still be able to be multiple by doing that. So absolutely. All right, so I like to see this kind of accountability from these coaches because, like I said, the with the, if the defense had been more stout the last couple of years, Alabama's probably in the college football playoff last year, you know, with that dynamic offense, even with Tua going down. If you're looking at this, the last two years since Jeremy Pruitt left, the defense has, you know, they've not totally fallen off by any means, but they have taken a step back. So, I mean, Nick Saban's still there. He's still teaching the same techniques he always has. Alabama still has, you know, the best roster almost every – Saturday they take the field, so they've got to get these issues fixed. Sound as you would assume, this is what they spent the off season on. But I think this is the last season where you know these type of excuses are going to be tolerated. They brought in Charlie Strong for a reason, and if Pete Golding doesn't get the job done, well, Nick Saban's got a guy in there that could step in right away, and he's got a lot more experience than Pete Golding. Maybe not in this system, maybe not in Tuscaloosa, but you know, calling plays in the SEC, so. I think clearly that's why Nick Saban brought him in there. A little pressure on Pete Golding, but that's that's the name of the game when you work in Tuscaloosa. I mean, the standard is excellence, and if excellence is not achieved, it's time for you to go on. All right, next let's skip on down to Lexington. Where Mark Stoops, 
met with the media. We got also got some comments here coming up from the defense coordinator, Brad White. But, you know, one thing we keep harping on all offseason is the fact that uh, this could be the deepest roster Mark Stoops has ever had during his tenure at Kentucky. And during his latest media availability, Mark Stoops, he talked at length about his secondary and the fact that, you know, if these players don't continue to progress, hey, they got he'll, they'll be on the bench with him because they got backups that are just as good, eager, ready to play. So, I mean, that's what you that's something you hear. That's a quote you hear from Alabama, Georgia, and you know LSU these types. And now you're seeing Mark Stoops say these things. That gives you an indication of just the roster, the confidence that he's got, and the depth on his team. And I thought this was great, talking about, uh, he was asked about, you know, are these players at all timid about getting physical and all that? And he's, he's not even paying attention to that. He's getting mad at the defense for giving up a big run. <laughs> and then finally here on Terry Wilson, sounds like, uh, oh, Terry, touchdown, back, back in shape, ready to see the field. And it's interesting, kind of like Austin Pope, you know, delaying the season could be a real benefit for a guy like Terry Wilson. Mark? Is there a different challenge for the secondary this year? A year ago, there were all these questions coming into the season. Now they don't have people like us doubting them. They have people like us saying how good they are. What are the differing challenges there? Yeah, I definitely think that's a, a, a fair question because, you know, as a defense, uh, as a defense, my background as a defensive coordinator, a defensive coach, and a secondary coach my whole career prior to being the head coach here, um, you know, I used to talk a lot about that. You know, when you – you know, fear in a good way. And uh, I don't mean fear like you're fearful of somebody or fear of competition, but you have to play with that heightened sense of awareness and that competitive nature all the time as a defensive back. The minute you get complacent, um, you're, you're going to get ripped. And, um, you know, that's the way that's the, the way I've always coached it in, in the, you know, be, you know, have that attention, attention to detail, attention to splits and, and not get comfortable. You can't get comfortable. And uh, I think that's a fair question. I think, um, you know, they were told how good they've been over the course of the year, but I can promise you um, there's a lot of depth out there and we're challenging them every day and pushing them to get better. And um, we really have some bodies to work with, which is nice. It's creating a lot of competition for those guys. And, um, you know, if they don't play at that level, they're going to be they're going to be over there watching it with me on the bench. So uh, they have to play at a high level, and, and uh, we're going to continue to push them. Mark, your team really prides itself on on physicality, um, but now that there's all these social distancing, did you notice any apprehension from the guys on their first day in pads? No, I didn't because uh, the first play of team run, I wasn't too pleased because they ran the ball right down our throat for about 20 yards. And, uh, you know, we, we, we have quite a few returning players that are, you know, pretty good players and, uh, in our offense, to, you know, first play, first play of team run, first play with the pads on. And, uh, and man, they, they hit it right downhill on us. So I like to see that from an offensive standpoint. I did not like to see it from a defensive standpoint. But, no, I, I don't see any difference in our players at all as far as practicing. Mark, how has Terry Wilson looked so far? And do you think pushing the start of the season back to the 20, September 26th is a benefit to him? I do, John, I do. I, I, I just think a couple extra weeks when, 
you know, he probably felt a hundred, you know, close to a hundred percent maybe a month ago or so. And it just have that little extra time. I, I think it could only help a guy like that. I noticed it. Um, I want to say practice one, maybe Eddie commented on it or, or not. I can't remember, but it, I want to say it was practice one. And I noticed it again today that he, he really has a good comfort level in that court in the pocket and he stepped up in the pocket delivered the football down the field threw it really well but also when he made the decision to pull it down and run i am really trying to be quick on my whistle believe me and i don't want to see him stretch it out and, and run but he's put, pulling it down he's he's like a bolt again uh, just like he used to be so when he pulls it down he, he can really run and hurt somebody some people and he has a good feel for that as you know when you've watched him play um, you know, he had a good feel for when to pull it down and, and scramble and make yards with his legs, and he looks really good early in camp. It's only been three practices, but he looks really good. All right, right there, you can hear the confidence in Mark Stoops. We got this defense, and maybe that's kind of why he's getting mad at his uh, D for giving up a big run here because Kentucky's got a hell of an offensive line. You got some great running backs, so they're going to be able to run the ball on just about anybody. But that's no excuse for Mark Stoops. That he's letting his front seven players even know it. You know we can't we can't let twenty yard runs go like this first play of the game. I mean that's ridiculous. So <laughs> that's the plight of being a head coach. You want to credit your offense, but at the same time you're pissed off at your defense. So I don't know. <laughs> maybe a five yard gain would have been a standstill that Mark Stoops was looking for. But I just think that's interesting that he's getting on his team. Maybe they're reading their press clippings a little bit. That's what the early part of training camp is good getting physical getting tough and there's no timid behavior in lexington it's more about challenging these guys on a day and day basis and uh, that's what you want to hear and uh, before we leave lexington here i thought this was a, a pretty good comment here from defensive coordinator brad white on nose tackle quentin bohannon you know that's a name we keep hearing all off season a breakout candidate in the sec Brad White is incredibly high on what Bohannon could be, and he's looking for him to take that next step. And, you know, it's one thing to be one of these nose guards that takes up blocks and lets everybody else make plays. He wants him to be part of the pass rush as well, which would just make Kentucky's defense that much more dynamic. Yeah, Brad, could you just specifically talk a little bit about your expectations for Quentin this year and in what ways he could be better and what you need for him yeah that's Quentin and I have had quite a few talks because I have very lofty expectations for what he can be for us and I will not shy away from that and he doesn't want me to shy away from the fact that I we need more out of him and I expect more it's, it's not about being, you know, a one player or a two play a game, you know, that looks good in a highlight film. It has to be consistent down in and down out. And, you know, again, he, he wasn't just a, a highlight guy. He, you know, he does a lot of the dirty work that nobody sees. He commands a lot of double teams. He keeps guys free. Uh, but what I expect of him is to do that and then more. So it's his job plus is what we talk about. And what he can do is he can hold point, and when a guy comes off, I expect him to tear off. I really expect to get more out of him in the pass rush game this year. You know, he doesn't need to just be thought of as a run guy. He's got enough 
uh, twitch and short area burst and strength that he can affect the pass game, and we need him to um, because there's going to be times that he gets the one-on-one, and when he gets the one-on-one, there should be nobody that can block him. And so that's that's the expectation for him. That's what I expect him to do. Uh, you know, we're you know Marquand same way. Like, there's nobody that should be able to to one-on-one block Marquand. If they do, I expect those guys to make a play. It's not often you hear a coach talk about a player being unblockable one-on-one, but that's but that's the growing hype around Bohanna. I mean, this is people in Lexington very very high on this young man. Made you know, started to make some big time plays last season. It's not like um, he's he's not an unknown by any means, but you know there's there's something to be said for going from being a player that flashes like Brad White says here to be a day in day out elite player. That's what you see from some of these Georgia defenses, Alabama defenses, Auburn defenses, Florida defense, and that's the challenge to Quentin Bohanna. If Kentucky is going to live up to all this hype, they need players like Bohanna to step up. Otherwise, it's just going to be the same old, same old, five and five seasons, six and four, and Kentucky looking good. And then when we play one of the better teams in the East, we're just not up to their capability. We need players like Bohanna in these marquee games against the Alabamas, against the Georgias, against Tennessee. We need him to take over. All right, next, let's uh, jump on down to College Station. Gigamagus. Where Jimbo had quite a bit to say here. This was a good one while Jimbo, we played a little bit of him during the intro there. But um, you know, one of the first questions he got asked, you know, there's a lot of hype with this A&M team. And there was some quite a bit of that last year, too, coming off a uh, eight and five season. You know, a lot of people scratching their heads wondering why there's so much hype. But what was so what's so different in this camp between last year, early on? I know it's early, but uh, Jimbo Fisher kind of talks about that. And then one of the players they really need to step up, five-star receiver, freshman, Damon Damas. Now, he's an interesting story because he transferred his senior season of high school. And I don't know the specifics really, but... It for the Texas High School Association, whatever it's called, they named him ineligible. So he didn't even play football last fall. So is there a rust factor? I don't know. He's enrolled early, but we all know there's no spring. So he couldn't knock off that rust then. Uh, but sounds like Jimbo's pretty high on this young man. They need some receivers to step up. And then, you know, the, I've said this many times on this podcast, but I am a believer that Kellen Mond, can he take that next step? That's something I've heard at nauseum all offseason. But I'm a believer that, you know, once a guy's started so many games, so many seasons in a row, just kind of is who he is. It doesn't mean he's, you know, not a good player. I think he's a very good player. But is he going to win the Heisman Trophy? I don't think there's any chance of that based on what I've seen. But I'm not taking that back by any means. But I do think Fisher... You know, has proven he's a really, really good quarterbacks coach. So maybe I need to give Mon a little bit more credit considering the fact that he does get to work with Fisher every day. And uh, when Fisher makes these comments, I think, you know, that it means more to me than a lot of coaches' comments that don't have the background coaching quarterbacks specifically in offenses quite like Jimbo Fisher has. So these comments are pretty interesting. Speaking of, uh, you know, needing weapons here, one guy we've hit on, Baylor Cup, the tight end, former number one tight end in the nation. He was making buzz this time last year. 
then unfortunately got injured, was knocked out for the season. I really like these comments from Fisher on Baylor Cup and his making his comeback and making his return here. This is what you want to hear because if you got Jalen Watermeyer, Baylor Cup, I mean, that's going to be a nightmare double tight end set that I don't know if anybody in the SEC is going to be able to handle that if Cup lives up to the hype. So that's interesting. And then finally, on uh, five former five-star defensive lineman DeMarvin Leal, he was a good player last year. But what Fisher says about him gives me some added confidence that this Aggie defense is going to take that next step. You know, he calls him a, a damn program changer here with his attitude and his work ethic. And this is what you want. You, you know, there's so many five-star kids that once they come in, they just kind of live off their reputation. You know, you do that too many times. That's when you get, you know, this label of you cannot develop. A, you can't develop these kids. You can just sign them. They need, in College Station, they need players like Leal to come in and dominate this year, uh, particularly on that defensive line. That it, I wouldn't say it's a question mark, but I'm not sold on it being a strength necessarily. They've got a ton of depth. We keep hearing about all this depth they have on the defensive line. It's time for a star to emerge there this season. So let's kick it over to Jimbo. Jimbo, when you go back to last year, first week of fall camp, and this year's first week, what's the biggest difference you see around this team? A little bit more urgency, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I think we have a more veteran football team, older players, more seniors. I think the leadership of with the – quality and and quantity just many more guys understanding what to do how to do it and the things they want to do and have made a huge impact on the younger guys as much as anything yeah Jimbo um you know we hear about your offensive system being so complicated so uh how much uh, how quickly do you think that Demond Demas is starting to pick things up and and how much do you expect him to be able to play this year well, but that's up to him. I think DeMond's a very intelligent guy. Of course, he's, you know, we know he has great ability. And he's had, he had a couple of good practices so far. So, you know, expecting him to compete and find out. Well, you know, it's too early to tell that. But he definitely has all the ability to. And he's shown a great uh, knowledge of our offense and some of the things he's done. And, you know, made a mistake or two. And you correct him. He learns very well, not making a lot of the same mistakes twice and you know, being very coachable. And also a quick question about Kellen. He was talking to us. Uh, a few days ago and, and it was kind of interesting because he talked about battling conf, you know dealing with confidence and he even mentioned the uh, his words uh, a fear of failure that he had to cope with at, at times I, have you seen that from him and have you seen I guess a, a growing confidence uh, in Kellen yes I've seen a tremendous confidence in him and I'm not saying you know he's you know all of a sudden this, but this guy is is maturing like like it used to be you see guys develop each year as they get older. Back in the old days, when they stayed in school and did the things they were going to do and weren't leaving early, and guys, you just see them and you're around them so much. And his confidence, his awareness, his presence on our team with coaches, with other players, uh, I think you, I think you're feeling it right now in your own uh, talks, like you just said, or you wouldn't be asking me the question. I mean, this guy is really maturing. Not that he wasn't, but I think grasping everything. And when you're in this world today, it, it's a whole different world. And very proud of him. Think he's, I mean, he's practiced really, really well uh, the last, th you know, three practices, first three practices. And, but not just himself, but how he's affecting the other guys on the team and communicating with guys and leading guys and feels totally confident in things. And, and you'll be surprised. He said, you know, the fear of failure, what's wrong with that? Everybody fears failure. 
It's how you control it. Does the fear control you or do you control it? Does it motivate you to make sure you do everything you can be to be prepared? Or does it put you in a shell? And you'll be, you may be shocked at how many great athletes and great players fear failure. I mean, they say calm, and it makes them what that does. That fear, is a, it's in the back of their head. That if you don't do your work, you don't do your preparation, you don't do the things to get ready to play, that you're not going to play well. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think of that myself every day. Have I, have I, who have I failed today? Am I, am I, our coaches, our players, our fans, our people that I'm in charge of? And it, you know, motivates me to make sure I'm trying to do everything I can to make sure we're the best we can be. And a lot of people are, are, are motivated that way. All right, let's move to Mike Lucas and then Owen Buchanan. Hey, Coach, you've coached against and coached some really good defensive linemen throughout the years. What makes DeMarvin Leal possibly the next great defensive lineman that you've seen? Well, hopefully he, he, he'll keep he'll striving. But you know what I see? An unbelievable competitive nature. I see a guy who really, when he's on that field, I don't ever see him loaf one second. I don't care what drill it is what we do, how we do it. And those guys change cultures of an organization because they're great players who are highly recruited who play like they have no ability in, in their effort and their toughness and ability to play. He has an unbelievable competitive edge. He learns extremely well. He's a great teammate. And he has all the size, speed features to be able to execute and play well. And I mean, he's got a kid to do that and he's done that. But he has all the intent. He's, God's blessed him with a great body and, and, and tremendous skill set. But he's blessed himself with the family he's been around and the way he's raised and the intangibles uh, that he has, uh, as all great football players have. And he's a very intelligent guy that processes information extremely well. Yeah, Coach. Uh, Baylor Cup, how's he come along and how's he look? Baylor's good. I mean, running well. Uh, you know, we're mixing them back ones and two, all the different things in the body, you know, big, physical, uh, getting vertical. His ankles had no problems at all. And if it did, he wouldn't tell you. I mean, I, I say that Ed is one tough son of a gun now. He's a competitive. He's got great heart. Uh, have a ton of respect for how he goes about his game in season, off season. Plays very hard. And if he makes a mistake, it, there's a genuineness to it that, that you know, it, it, it's not that he's mad. Oh, I'm, I'm looking for him. It's like he lets you down as a coach and he feels bad because you were counting on him. I mean, he, he is wired right, does right, and has a lot of ability and working very hard. All right. So if everything Jimbo Fisher here said is true, I mean, hell, I'm feeling a lot better about my – preseason pick of A&M winning the West. Although I've kind of backed off that since they've went to the 10 game, all SEC schedule. I think that certainly changes things, but you know, that doesn't mean Texas A&M won't win the West, but a lot of these things have to come true. And I, it's kind of easy to say, but I think it's all about Kellen Mon and how big of a step he can take this season, because he's just not been that dynamic player that uh, we all saw that first time he played Clemson. I mean, put the team on his damn back, nearly beat Clemson team that was going to go on to the national championship game. So if that Kellen Mond shows up this year, yeah, Texas A&M is, they're probably going to win the entire SEC, but you know, I'm, I'm kind of doubtful, but here we, here we got Jimbo Fisher singing his praises and uh, we just had Jamon Osmond recently say much of the same. So if that's the Kellen Mond we're getting, watch out for the Aggies this year. All right, jumping down to Athens. Defensive coordinator Dan Lanning spoke with the media here recently, and it was interesting because he was asked about how do you improve this Georgia defense? You know, everyone keeps touting them as the best defense in the SEC, probably the nation. Sounds like he was kind of trying to throw a wet blanket on that, doesn't want his players getting too big of a head. So I certainly understand that. 
And then, uh, you know, he, he didn't give too much away. You know, it's kind of like state secrets down there in Athens. They're not going to give too much away. But what has he seen from Georgia's new offense under Todd Munkin? Dan Lanning kind of hints on that. Uh, yeah, Coach, I know there's um, obviously been a lot of attention paid. You know, statistically, your team finished really well uh, last season, and, and you played, I don't know what it was, 30 guys over 100 snaps, something something ridiculous like that. So, so I guess the question we're all asking is, is, is how do you guys get better? I, I mean, is there more to add to the toolbox? Um, you know, how do you improve on those numbers and that those performances other than what you just said is about finishing? Ultimately, for us, it's about wins, but that was 2019. This is 2020. It really has no correlation. Um, you know, we have to start from scratch. Um, by no means are we the 85 Bears. We got a lot of work to do, um, but our guys are embracing the challenge of getting better and focusing on that. It starts with the details, right? It starts with today, not tomorrow, not the, the first game. We got to really focus on today first. Uh, yeah, Coach, uh, obviously not asking you for to divulge state secrets or anything here, but just wanted to kind of get your impressions on defending, you know, Todd Munkin's office. I know it's only been three practice, but just kind of what he brings to the table as an offensive coordinator and what kind of challenges you've seen that he can kind of, uh, um, you know, create for a defensive coordinator. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one thing I think that, that's uh, unique about Todd, I'm not going to tell you what plays we're running, right? But what's what's really fun is he's the definition of a coach that's, you know, he has a lot, obviously a lot of experience, um, knows exactly what he wants from in, in his product. Uh, you know, he's very demanding of his guys uh, in what right execution looks like. But he's also very adaptable uh, to change. Uh, the game's changed over the years, and I think you see a lot of pieces of that uh, in his offensive game plan. I think the key there, while Dan Lanning didn't give away much of anything about the offense specifically, when he talks about Todd Munkin's adaptability, you know, we – we all get enamored with last season, what Joe Burrow and those LSU receivers and even Moss, the tight end, did. You know, it was really Clyde Edwards-Alaire that was the glue that made that whole thing work. He was the one, you know, going back to Alabama game. I mean, that was his best game of the season, I thought. Hell, he was banged up against Oklahoma. He's still in there. He could have sat that one out, you know, if he was thinking more about his future. But he was a hometown kid and you know, he wanted to finish the deal here. And that's kind of what I think, you know, without really saying it, that's kind of what Dan Lanning here is going on about because all offseason is Jamie Newman, Jamie Newman, Jamie Newman, these receivers. We could tell you how many times I've seen someone tweet out, well, here's all the elite receivers Georgia's got. And I, I know why they're doing that because it, they are getting enamored by what they see LSU doing and Alabama doing. And that's the direction they want to go in for sure. But that adaptability, you know, they'll hit you with the pass to set up the run now. I think that's kind of more what the game plan is going to be. And James Cook coming out of the backfield can catch passes. And I did want to make this note because early buzz out of Athens is Amir White is finally, you know, reached that potential of number one when he was the number one rated high school running back. I mean, my goodness, imagine – if he's that caliber of an athlete this year, maybe we're looking at the wrong Georgia Bulldog winning the Heisman Trophy. Because if you notice, when these Heisman odds have been coming out, it I have seen Zamir White on quite a few of them, but he's always he's basically the last guy on the list in the SEC. And you know, you may look at that and say, well, it's a complete long shot, but 
You know who else was a long shot this time last year? Wasn't even on the damn odds. It was Joe Burrow. So I'm not saying Zamir White's going to be Joe Burrow. Obviously, uh, totally different players and positions and everything. But don't overlook the fact that Georgia is going to pass to set up the run this year as opposed to the other side. And I think that's kind of what uh, Dan Lanning's kind of getting into here. All right, let's jump on down to Starkville real quick where Mike Leach met again with the media. And I thought this time around he kind of, you know, now that there are a couple more practices in here in Starkville, he has a little bit better information to share with the the fans and everything. And uh, it seems like he's really embracing being being from Mississippi and uh, learning to kind of sell on the recruiting trail a little bit here. So these are some pretty good comments here from Mike Leach. And he's kind of getting into his receivers a little bit. And obviously that was, that's been talked at all offseason. Can Mississippi State have the receivers to play this system? It certainly seems like Leach is growing in confidence in these guys. And then finally on quarterback Will Rogers, who, if you don't know the story, I'm sure Mississippi State fans know, but Gardner Minshew is from Mississippi, you know, went to East Carolina, then played for Leach at Washington State. Now he's the Jaguars quarterback tore up college football that one year. Well, Will Rogers was the guy that replaced Gardner Minshew at Brandon High School. Leach recruited Rogers to Washington State. Obviously, he chose Mississippi State, want to play in the SEC over the Pac-12. Who could blame him? Wouldn't even be playing football if he chose the Pac-12 route. But it's interesting that Rogers, and he gets a shout out here from Mike Leach, and early buzz, that I'm hearing is he's getting just as much play as Schrader and KJ Costello. So I don't think Rogers is going to come in and start by any means, but I think there's a good chance he's the backup and he may be the quarterback of the future here at Mississippi State. This is a guy Mike Leach has had on his radar for some time. Coach, a lot of reaction about uh, this pride in Mississippi thing. I understand you had a video and you kind of pressed upon your team the importance of having pride in the state of Mississippi. Can you take us through some of that? You know, the biggest thing, and, and a lot of it, uh, um, you know, starts with why did I come to Mississippi? Because for years I've understood that uh, uh, some of the best football in the entire nation is played in the state of Mississippi, and I know the emphasis of it. I know what it means uh, to the people here uh, per capita. Uh, oftentimes, uh, more players go to the NFL from the state of Mississippi than any other state. And I think uh, along with that and along with the greatness on the football field that's come from that, uh, players need to understand uh, the legacy that uh, they're a part of and uh, take ownership in upholding that. And that comes through uh, hard work. And, you know, there's none of this, aw shucks, I'm from <clears throat> Mississippi stuff. I mean, you know, it, it's this isn't one of those deals where, uh, you know, well, I figure I'm average and half the states are better and half the states are worse. No, no. They, they're great players come from here, and greatness comes out of here on the football field, and I wanted all of them to realize that. Dan? <clears throat> hey, Mike, kind of in that vein, I know you guys uh, have a lot of size. I Cyrus Mitchell and Tyrell Shavers, bigger than maybe some of the guys you guys had at Washington State last year. How do they kind of factor in, and I guess what, what do they kind of give you, at least in the early going, with the size that they do have? Uh, big targets. You know, big targets. Uh, the better they catch the ball, the stronger they'll be. Uh, we're still a little all over the place on our routes, um, but you know, I mean, that's uh, that's on us as coaches to sharpen and tighten that up and uh, make it uh, make it sharp. And uh, 
because uh, these guys have a, a lot of uh, a lot of ability. Um, but um, you know, us and them both have to just work like crazy uh, to make it sharp and precise. And I think we've made progress. We're not there yet, but we've made progress. Hey, Mike, just expanding on that a little bit on what Ben was saying about the wide receivers. How do you feel like they're grasping the offense the first few days? I know you talked about just having to play catch up. How do you feel like those guys have been able to grasp the offense just from the little that you've been around so far? I think they're motivated. I think they they because they like having the ball and they like uh, seeing their friends have the ball and the ball spread out to, over the field. Um, I think that we. Uh, you know, if we drop a ball, we got to take that a little more personally. You know, but I think the volume of balls is uh, is probably something new that they haven't seen quite this many balls flying around. Uh, and then I think they're adjusting to the pace right now. Um, <clears throat> I have thought they picked up uh, the offense quite well. Just you know, I'm not saying okay, here we had a perfect route, um, but in general, I think it happened uh, probably a little quicker than I expected. Coach Will Rogers, I think y'all recruited him a little bit in high school, even back at Washington State. So obviously, it seems like he fits a lot of what y'all want. <coughs> yeah, that experience, I think, some in the air raid. His dad's an offensive coordinator, and he learned some under Gardner Minshew. How well do you feel like he's been able to handle, uh, you know, even not having a spring, coming in as a freshman and handling what you want out of your quarterbacks, just from you know his mindset and that's I've been really impressed with that. Um, you know, a freshman comes in, one thing is the reps and the plays, but, uh, you know, one of the biggest hurdles that those guys sometimes have is, uh, you know, the confidence to feel like they belong there and, uh, you know, where they go out there timid like a freshman and, uh, and he hasn't done that, you know. He, he goes out there, you know, competes, uh, you know, like he should be there. And uh, so I think that's... Uh, allowed him to improve even quicker all right so i mean i just sense confidence in this offense in this system from mike leach i know it's early but i mean hell remember when he got hired he's i think he said well about two weeks we'll have this system in <laughs> may not come that quick not with no spring and a limited off season but by the time the season rolls around i've got faith in mike leach to uh, have this system up and going to a lot better pace than uh, mississippi state fans have been used to on the offensive side of the ball the last couple of years. All right, Chad. So I had to handle that solo. <laughs> but uh, any, you got any, you know, outstanding thoughts? You listen to those clips on your ride home. Anything really stand out to you there? Yeah. Sorry, I couldn't uh, join you there. It was a late, late day at work, and it usually is when I got a podcast coming up. You know, but uh, <laughs> there was a lot of good stuff uh, on there. Obviously. Uh, some of the things that really stood out, to, obviously I'm a Tennessee homer, so the, I'm going to say the Cade Mays thing, mm -hmm. you know, that, that one, uh, that one was good. I really love the comments about Quentin Bohanna up there in Kentucky. It just, it just means more, you know, that sometimes when you're just that good of an athlete, you have to be reminded that you are expected you, you, more things are expected from you. And I think that's just going to help that whole defensive side of the ball. Uh, so that's one I, you know, I'm really expecting him to, to make some noise this season. Mm -hmm. um, and the point I made about that one, Shane, you know, we've been hearing a lot of buzz about that. Our friends over at uh, Kentucky sports radio, when they jumped on the show, both of them kind of singled him as, as a breakout candidate here. Mm -hmm. Kentucky needs players like Bohannon 
to make plays against Georgia, Tennessee, yeah. Florida, Alabama. Otherwise, it's just the same old story with Kentucky. You know, mm-hmm. win six, maybe seven games. That's a great, great year for Kentucky. But if mm-hmm. Bohanna can dominate, that's realistic that they could be, you know, an SEC East contender. Three more things, Mark, and then I'm done. How, you know, Terry Wilson, you're forgetting how athletic he is. Mm-hmm. You know, coach has seen it in three days. Mond, uh, just the control that he has. A lot of people take that for granted. You know, when you have somebody that's been in the system so long, you know, you're not thinking about the plays. You're thinking about other stuff and getting the players in position, you know. So I think that's going to be a big, big deal for uh, Texas A&M, you know, that mm-hmm. Mond's at that point where he's not so much worried about the playbook anymore. He's just making sure everybody's in the right spot. So uh, I think that's great. And then the last one, my favorite one, obviously was the Pirate. And he's talking about those kids not used to that many balls being in the air. You know, it's just like, you know, they're all having fun. Everybody's catching passes, you know. So just the high-flying offense, you know, this is just confirmation and and, and that Coach Leach is going to mix some things up for them Bulldogs. Yeah, man, I can't wait to see that uh, air raid hit the SEC. I think it's going to be a pretty big deal for them Bulldogs. Oh, yeah. All right, Shane, so I think that's going to do it, uh, unless you got anything before we hop off here. No, I appreciate everybody hanging out with us. Sorry I wasn't able to do the whole pod with you, Mike. I appreciate the effort. Again, Mike does all the work. <laughs> I just come here. I'm here for – I'm just here for color commentary, Mike, you know. But I, I, I had a blast. If, if you have yourself an iPhone – uh, the reviews do help us out. Uh, appreciate everybody getting on there and giving us the five star ratings. You know, it opens up advertisement for us like that, my bookie, Mike. And I'm looking forward to doing a little gambling and matching my bets with it. I, what was the limit? A thousand I can throw in there? Yes, sir. New customers, a thousand using the promo code that SEC. You get double your initial deposit. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's a really good deal. Take uh, my advice here on these gambling lines do the opposite of what cousin shane says hey you're gonna be making some money this season absolutely man this is time to make some money 10 games 10 games thousand dollars you know that's a hundred dollars that's perfect mike that's exactly i may do 200 bets this year <laughs> or 200 locks of the week i haven't decided yet so uh i'm looking forward to that and again the the ratings review you're the ones that made that possible for us and uh yeah if you got yourselves an iphone a rating review would help us out we would uh i will read them later in the week uh promised my daughter actually she's going to come on she wants to read one of them so uh she just wants to get a little air time so i promised her that so i'll try to have that best review i'll let her read how about that mike yeah, the, give her the biggest one. <laughs> yeah, if they got the words are too big, so I, too big. I'll let her read them. <laughs> uh, like Shane said, give us that five star. We're almost out of koozie, so I'm about to order a new set. We're gonna have some new team colors coming in here. We've been getting a ton of requests for the orange and white, so I think uh, that's what we take the money my bookie gives us. We put it right back into the show. Get new that's koozie. Right. So uh, looking forward to that. But uh, that's going to do it for this one. Shane, thanks for joining me as always. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. All right. See you guys. Go balls. <laughs>